On today's show, we are unlocking the secrets of how to build an AI-first business. And by the way, it is way easier than you think or anybody out there would make you believe. And we're going to share some very secret, very new tools we didn't even know existed in the AI space towards the end of the episode. That and much more ahead on Marketing Against the Grain. I'm your co-host, Kip Bodner, CMO at HubSpot. I'm joined by my co-host, Kieran Flanagan, who's the CMO at Zapier. Let's get into today's show. There is no secret formula for scaling customer support and boosting customer satisfaction. But there is the all-new HubSpot Service Hub, bringing service and support together in one platform so you can deliver the best experiences possible and free up a rep's time with AI-powered help desk, all so you can keep customers happy. Secrets out. Service Hub is a game changer. Visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn more. Today, we are joined by the one and only Rachel Woods, who's a former data scientist at Facebook, who's turned AI educator, creator, and AI ops expert and advocate. And she is going to break down and decode all of the secrets from transforming from a traditional business into an AI first business. Rachel, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. This is, I can already tell, going to be a fun conversation from where both of you guys sit in this whole space. I know both of your companies are pushing the envelope and what it means to build AI first too, which is super exciting, I think. Rachel, it is awesome to have you on the show. Uh, You're actually very popular with the Zapier crew who are interested in AI. I know a lot of them follow you and watch your content. Where we wanted to kick off is, okay, like I definitely am someone who likes to be in the hype cycles. (laughs) You know, I'm a person who enjoys being in all of the hype and AI is like in the hype cycle right now. And we've done a ton of research in Zapier because obviously we have a ton of people trying to use AI integrated into their businesses. And we're trying to figure out how to help those businesses make AI actionable. And there's like this kind of interesting thing where like the businesses themselves are trying to figure out, well, how do I use AI, right? And like, they're kind of, I don't even know if I want to use it for customer facing experiences because it hallucinates and we can get into that a little later. I think where we want to kick off is you see this stuff each and every day. And I know you've done a ton of content about like real businesses using actual AI within their businesses. What has made you go, wow, damn, like I am spending my time on the right thing. Like I (laughs) I shouldn't go and change careers. This is the right career for me, like being in AI. Like what are some of the use cases you've seen business use it that have made you feel that way? Frankly, the way that we work and the way that we build businesses is just going to look so different in let's say 10 years conservatively, but I mean, AI moves so fast. Maybe that's more like two to five. I'll take the under on 10 years for sure. Less than 10. You'll take the under? Okay, cool. And we'll have to do a a dinner bet on that. Deal. I think, I guess your, your question of like, what is the use case that's like, man, this is huge. I think there are, first of all, so many that we talk about across customer support, marketing, sales, where like the labor and the continuous like work and operations of those functions is just going to change a lot. But actually what gets me so excited is more of the kind of culmination of like the small use cases, the stuff where it's like, Hey, this, this one, you know, specific flow, the specific work we're trying to get done, the specific task. I sit there and I do that thing every week, or I wish I could do that thing every week. And now the fact that AI can actually unlock that for us 
I think there's like a lot more than just the kind of initial set of use cases that we talk about all the time. Yeah. Like it seems like one of the more common use cases, I'm going to really simplify this, but it's used in many forms is like the take data somewhere, use AI to summarize it in some way and send data elsewhere, right? Like if you actually look at what's going on in customer service, it's yeah. like take data from tickets, summarize it, and then send it elsewhere. So like you don't need as much customer support people because you can actually automate a bunch of that. And then actually some of that is like the AI can actually answer it for you. Like there's another step, which is AI can actually act on the data. In sales, very similar, like take data from like calls, summarize it, send it to sales reps. And again, AI can start to act on that data because it can start to do some outreach and things like that. And I think they're some of the ones that I see most common, like even in write-in apps or like these kind of apps, it's like take data, summarize it, and I can create some content from it. And I'm wondering, like, have you seen anything that is like less known, right? Like, I think they're the ones that we're all starting to see more and more of, which is like the AI's ability to like manipulate the data in some way, summarize it for someone, act in that data. But is there anything that has really caught your eye that a business has done that has not been as well covered and is not as well known as some of these other kind of use cases? Yeah. I mean, I do think it's like the culmination of small tasks. So like one very specific example, uh, we designed some workflows, which will take a non-specific bug report. That's like kind of a really bad bug report for anybody in a team to take action on. And you build a set of AI prompts and a workflow that actually like expands that out into what was the expected behavior? What's the actual behavior? What's the kind of like estimate of the impact, right? And if you take like just the simple process of bug reporting and you're like, hey, actually, like every single bug that's now reported in our business is a thorough bug report with like minimal effort. Okay, you add up a bunch of those types of things and that all of a sudden becomes, wow, actually, like the way that we're running our product, you know, ops process or our customer support feeding into product ops is totally different. So when you ask about like, what are the things beneath the surface? I think there's actually really just a lot of small use cases that when you add them all up, mm. we're going to look back and be like, oh, wow, that actually was really meaningful. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I know. It makes total sense. So it's kind of funny because it's like less flashy though. Like it'd be like, oh, like the AI is writing bug reports for me now. But like that actually is the stuff that I think is really going to be a material change here. Well, look, as a marketer, I want that, but for creative briefs, right? Creative briefs are like the biggest pain ever. And I want that for just taking this abstract marketing problem and actually creating a brief that is thorough that you can give to a designer, yeah. a videographer, and and really nailing it. So like, I, I get those use cases and see how you could apply, honestly, to like almost any aspect right. of a business. You know, on the operating side, like how do you design processes? How do you design SOPs that run your business? That's just like stuff that's been best practice of building teams and building companies for a while. When you start to like layer AI and what it's good at into that as co-pilots, generating drafts, like I think that compounds a lot more than people think. Well, I guess I have, I have a question around that. A lot of the companies mm -hmm. that I talk to that I see, you know, they understand the importance of AI, but I think they're struggling shifting their mindset from like using that bug report example you just gave. Historically, they, you know, that company might have hired a person to do manual work to make those bug reports better. And now it's about building a workflow. And I think a lot of companies are struggling moving from like people to solve the problem right. to like AI automation to solve the problem. How do you help people get unstuck there? Like the first step is realizing what kind of task you have at hand. So there's a lot of tasks where 
there actually is a correct answer, right? So like email inbox triage is one really good example where a lot of people are still in systems where they're manually tagging things and manually assigning tickets to people on a team to handle an issue. Like that's a task that does have correct answers. That's a great use case for AI today because you can basically kind of like build your prompt and measure how well it works and then do that iterative process. Then I think about like a second layer of tasks. I need like a better, like flashier term for it. But basically the blunt way to say it is like the output is good enough, mm. like that kind of work. And I really think that like bug reporting oftentimes like, yeah, there's a quality threshold, but once you hit like, this is good enough, this is clear enough, then like you're golden. And I think that's a really fruitful area for people to work on designing some of these systems and workflows. And then there's like the third bucket, which which is where like you want work that really is striving for excellence and like really striving for like the creative, you know, this ad copy performed extremely Mm. well. This LinkedIn hook was extremely good. And I I think that stuff is further away than for the quality that a lot of us are looking for in our work than people think. But the first two, there's a lot of stuff in there. Yeah, this is how I think about it, which is, first of all, everyone is now forced to be a systems builder, right? Like if you actually think about all we really are is a being that can do a series of like processes. Like that's really what our job is, is like a series of processes and there's processes. Nice motivational speech, man. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you're feeling bad about yourself. I'm here all week. So like, but we think about it. Now there's like creativity in these process, but each process is a series of tasks, right? And then a company is made up of people doing processes that are series of tasks and it's the, you know, the aggregation of all those things. And so you have to like look at the company and be able to document all of the processes and then start to see like, what are the ones that AI can do? And so the ones that you described like are really good examples where I think where there's a lot of benefit for AI today is like the internal things. The internal things that like are within the company and can accelerate all of that kind of stuff that you're doing within the company. I think that the point that you're making, which is a really good point, where you're still kind of hesitant or you see people be hesitant, and we've seen it in research, is the ad copy or the things that customers can see, right? Because Mm -hmm. first of all, I think that AI is pretty average, which makes sense because it's taken the internet and it's just averaging all that out, right? So it's like pretty average. If you want to be average, right? Like, cool. And there's a lot of people that will be happy being average. I don't think that is any of us in this call. <laughs> nope. And the second thing is obviously we know about the hallucination problem. And I'm like interested in your point of view. Like Kip and I have talked about this, which is what's fascinating about AI is like, if you break people into three buckets and I'm being like sweeping generalizations and being unkind in some ways, and you have the lazy bucket, right? They just don't really do anything very well. You have the copy and paste bucket, which is the bigger bucket, which is like, I just, I'm really good at like taking things and copy and pasting them for my company, whether that's a marketer or a salesperson. And then you have the people who are really in the creative bucket. And like, they're the ones that everyone else is copy and pasting from. And I think AI today is really good at taking all of the lazy people and everyone into the copy and paste bucket and making that bucket bigger. But there's still like that creative element that it has not reached. Like these people who are really good at content, video, all of these things. Do you think AI is going to be disruptive to that cohort of people eventually? Or like, what's your opinion there and how it impacts like how good people are in their jobs? Well, I love your buckets. I think there's a little bit of a hot take in there, which I also love. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's a really good question. I think at least what I'm seeing more of today in that creative kind of like we're striving for excellence type work. I feel like that's really where like co-pilots are more Mm, the model than drafting or automations. Because even, you know, uh, someone who's doing creative work, at least I can speak personally, 
I do my best creative work when I'm working with a team. And oftentimes it's not always you know, available, especially if I'm like working on something super late at night where like, I'm definitely not working with my team that late. Okay, cool. Log into ChatGPT. I'm kind of using his little co-pilot while I'm doing my work. I think that is what the impact there will look more like. Yeah. Yeah. Kip, do you do your best creative work like me when you're all alone away from humans? <laughs> of course I do. <laughs> all alone in away from humans and the earlier in the morning, the better. Like mm. I can't do late night creative work. My brain stops working at like 8 p.m. I just I turn into a pumpkin and I just I have to go to sleep. But like 6 a.m., like by myself, that is best prime thinking time right there. Like that's where I'm at. So here's a question for you. Have you used ChatGPT in your prime morning creative work time? I have. I have to help me synthesize thoughts, you know, where I'm like, I find creativity is a lot about like, I have some ideas and how do I organize them into something that's usable and powerful? Yeah, I agree with that. Like, it's a good sounding board to try to categorize and organize things. I have to say, I don't think I've shipped a single piece of content that has been influenced by an AI write an assistant yet which like i think a lot about really yeah and i that's interesting I, like, i've used it i guess like maybe maybe for research but even now because i've just had such bad experiences recently <laughs> about the the information that ai gives me now even now i'm like always double checking it like does that count as like ai research because i like do the research on I, ch- I generally do bard and this is a other great conversation we can get into which is like is there a world where there is going to be a standalone AI chat experience or does everything just get embedded in the existing platforms? Because I really want ChatGBT to like win. I want there to be a disruptor to Google. And Kip knows this. I'm like, oh, like we're going to, you know, tough luck Google. There's going to be m- many more competitors. And I'm there. I'm in there every day going, oh, I'll just use Bard. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I just uh, use I'll Google just more now. It's great. On Google. <laughs> and so like I do the research, right? So like I try to organize my thoughts. I try to do research in there. Like I do use it for research all the time. But I find myself now just double checking just in case, in case it's way off. And then sometimes it is pretty widely off. Yeah. I mean, I would say, though, that still counts as a co-pilot right. for a process, right? Because it's interesting, like, let's fast forward. Uh, maybe there are both technical techniques or user experience techniques, which solve a lot of that okay, wow, then like the way that you're doing research is so fundamentally different from like, like I can, I can barely remember like going into Google and being like, oh man, what, like what 10 blog posts oh, do I, I agree with to even yeah. get an idea yeah. of what I'm looking <laughs> yeah, yeah, for? Yeah, totally yes. agree. I agree. Yeah. It's such a better experience. If it can be accurate, chat is a far better, like we've said this on the show, which is the blue link is really antiquated now. Like remember when you have to click through the blue links and like read all the things and now you can just have like the AI bot synthesize that and format it. And I think if they can solve the hallucination problem, it's such a better experience. I do wonder what you both think about Like one of my hot takes would be, I feel like in the future, like everyone will just have an AI co-pilot for everything, right? So like a single co-pilot that can learn how it can give you answers to things, that can learn how to sign up to software for you, can actually learn how to use that software for you, can teach you how to like use that. I wonder if you need to go into like all these different like chat experiences, or you could just have a single chat experience that like follows you around and can do all those things actually for you because it's learning about you, your habits, it's personal to you, it's nuanced to you. I wonder a lot about like, is there gonna be a single horizontal chat experience that we all go to like an open AI and will that be a replacement from a traditional distribution engine that exists today? Or do we just gravitate towards the existing platforms that embed chat? Yeah, I mean, I think you're basically alluding to almost like the end of software as we know it, 
right? If you think about it, if everything's <laughs> from one chat experience, then totally. like, right. what's a website? What's a tool? Like, and I think like there's an interesting intersection of trends here with like, okay, yeah, especially if that was on your phone, mm, right? Yeah. Um, with remote work and people being mm-hmm. more mobile, there could be a lot of things that, yeah, a co-pilot, a central experience just learns and does for you. How far that goes, right? Going back to the like the top tier of work that's really about like having excellent work. Okay, like I think it's a really long time before your co-pilot is doing that for you from your phone. But yeah, I mean, I think that's what everyone's like dreaming for. I know a lot of people are, you know, building and and trying to create. Uh, and I'd want that. I want to go run my business from the, the beach. That would be way more fun. Right. <laughs> We'll be right back. But before, let me tell you about another podcast I love. Nudge, hosted by Phil Agnew, is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Ever noticed how the smallest changes can have the biggest impact? On Nudge, you learn simple evidence-backed tips to help you kick bad habits, get a raise, grow a business. Every bite-sized 20-minute show comes packed with practical advice. Nudge is fast-paced, but it's still insightful with real-world examples that you can apply. Oh, and it's the UK's fastest growing business podcast. If you want an MBA's worth of insight in one podcast, this is the right show for you. Entrepreneurs will love the show because it's filled with repeatable proven studies, not hearsay and one-off success stories. You're going to love the show because I was interviewed by Phil. You can go check out my episode. And I recently listened to an awesome episode. It's called Six Scientifically Proven Persuasion Techniques. It's a must listen for anyone in marketing. Listen to Nudge wherever you get your podcasts. One of the quick things we could bring up, I read the post that you did with like an AI first operated business. Could you just talk through the work you're doing there? Because what you're really starting to establish is like, what does an AI first business look like? So basically since ChatGPT launched, I've personally spent time with hundreds of businesses. And I say that with like, remembering kind of the pain of my calendar at the beginning of the year of like how many meetings back to back to back I was in, which was super fun, but also like super exhausting and like not sustainable. But really like I did that because I was like just so fascinated with how businesses were looking at this tool that just launched and was, you know, the shot heard around the world and thinking about how they're going to integrate that into what they're doing for their products and how they operate their teams And what became like really clear out of all of that was like, everybody was trying to figure out how do we take the way that I'm currently operated and start making the right small steps to the place where I'm like set up to take advantage of my business being more AI first. I will say it's like a lot easier if you're just starting from the ground up now. I think you can like adopt a lot of these tools faster if you have an interest and you can kind of like hit the races. But even for established businesses, there are you know, quite a few things you can start putting in place that really set your team and the way that you operate up to actually take advantage of like, um, kind of what exists today and what's coming. And I really tried to like distill that down into the three key areas. Two of these people I think are pretty familiar with, or are kind of talking about or asking about a lot, which is AI literacy and implementation. But the third bucket of management and kind of like what it means to close the loop once you've actually deployed these systems is something that I I think is kind of the biggest opportunity for a lot of businesses that are really trying to figure out how to do this stuff. 
first, to operate AI first, you really need to make sure that your team and yourself has a level of literacy around what's going on, what are the strengths of these technologies, what are the weaknesses, and really like have those fundamentals. You need to think about things like data governance and ethics and really develop the skill set of building these systems. I mean, like you mentioned earlier, we're all kind of system designers now, right? Like that very much is what people need to invest in developing when it comes to kind of this like AI literacy bucket. And then from there, it's really natural to move into the implementation bucket. This is where a lot of people are super excited, you know, building automations, building chatbots, building agents, I think more and more so building models. And once you have those, that's then where you need to make sure that you're pulling in the management side. So how do you manage the ongoing risk? How do you measure stuff? How do you set metrics through like evals? How do you monitor for drift? Just, you know, it's it's a whole discipline. And if you're a business that's looking at AI thinking, what do I need to start putting in place to make sure that I'm positioned for where the world is going? Really like these three buckets are my like best recommendation of where to start. So if I was a business today, what's like step one? Like if I'm a hesitant to get started, how do you encourage businesses to start to just take their first steps of integrating AI into the business? I mean, I really love encouraging businesses to throw like a hackathon type day, you know, whether it's an afternoon or a couple days, people can kind of decide their appetite. And for people that aren't familiar with hackathons, basically what you do is you establish a problem or a pitch or a theme of the hackathon. And then you have people that break up into teams and build solutions on that over the period of time. And then they present at the end. When you apply that to, hey, let's find you know one way to use AI in our work, or let's find one way to use AI to deliver a better experience for somebody in like, you know, customers in a certain industry, the act of bringing everybody together and getting idea sharing and having a dedicated space really is like an amazing catalyst for all three of those buckets. So I'm like a big proponent of, if you've never thrown a hackathon before, this is the time. <laughs> and yeah, it ends up, I think really like starting to also create the culture of like AI is a good thing in a company not something that, you know, people might have like fear or hesitancy around. I'd plus one the hackathon. I know Kieran, yeah. I think Zapier did it, did one. We did one at HubSpot. They also just change the momentum. It kind of gets everybody thinking about the opportunity and kind of builds the momentum towards doing more in a way that you don't get unless you kind of take this moment of time where everybody focuses on kind of learning and spending a little time on it. Totally. You know, we haven't talked about it as much in this conversation, but something I talk to a lot of businesses about is actually making sure that you are building a culture where AI feels like something exciting and safe and energizing for everybody at the business of like, you know, hey, once we're AI first and as we start implementing these systems, here's what that looks like for us, right? We're going to be able to do more for our customers. We're going to be able to build a better business, have better functions within a team because we're all doing the work that we love most. Like, I think it's really important to also focus on the culture side of what does AI adoption look like in a business? Yeah. Do you think then, do you both think like AI should be, you don't win with AI unless it's bottoms up, like built into how employees understand how to do their work? Like was your bug report use case something that someone just came up with because they were deeply passionate about AI and were trying to figure out how to integrate into their work? Or did you do that top down, like say, hey, we should try to find ways to automate and integrate AI into these different areas? It's a good question. I think that the use cases bottom up for sure. I think the top down is more like creating space 
giving training, encouragement to people. But I think when you're not the one in the weeds doing the work, it's also really hard to see where are the best places to implement some of this stuff. So yeah, I would say both sides, but bottom up for use cases for sure. Plus one of both sides. I have a follow-up question to that though. We were talking about building an AI first business. Sometimes on the show, I like to just use the show to answer selfish questions that I want to know the answer to. And this is one of those. Uh, We have a former data scientist on. Your wheel is underpinned by data. And I know firsthand in working through a lot of this AI stuff that getting the data infrastructure right is like everything. And so I just would love your wisdom. Like, what do you see companies doing really well or doing very poorly when it comes to like their data and data infrastructure to build the AI first business on top of Yeah. I mean, it depends on which types of implementation projects you're doing at the moment. So I'll just say like building a chatbot is actually a really data intensive project. And I talk to a lot of businesses who have a proof of concept chatbot and they're like, this is super cool, but it's like 30% of what we want. How do we get it to like the 90, 95 to be able to like start giving this to customers or using it? And the question most of the time is just like the data that you're putting into this needs to be restructured and really thought through. The same thing for as we start potentially fine tuning more models or having more feedback loops with these systems. Again, like the data is going to be just so important. I think probably my best advice would be really develop the skill of understanding a use case really deeply and the intuition of what data actually helps that use case. Cause it's just going to vary. There's no like perfect checklist I could give you to be like, here's all the data that you'll need, you know, for every use case, like forever perfectly structured. Like it's just going to have to be getting good at that. The creativity almost of like, how do you get the right data for this? And, and that's how machine learning works too, you know? Well, yeah. What's interesting, what I'm hearing from you is like an AI first business is, is a use case obsessed business. They're beyond customer obsessed. They are clearly understanding the core use cases that their customers have. And then you're lining up not just automation, but data, teams, organizational systems, incentives to actually tackle those use cases and make them well beyond what a customer would have ever dreamed possible. Should that be what I'm taking away here? Because it's like uh, you keep hammering on the use case part of this. And I think it's a really important point. Yeah. I mean, I think that's said Perfectly. Like that's really what we're going for. And I think that's what, when you look at the 10 year in which you're taking the under on, I, am. Uh, I, I like <laughs> that's what building a business and having a team and doing work is going to feel more like. One of the things I'm curious about, Rich, so if you listen to all of the people on Twitter, like I don't put you in this category, but the AI thread creators, <laughs> everyone is using ChatGPT. There's 6 billion people in the world. Only 50% of them have used AI. They're all using ChatGPT and there's these other seven AI apps that I don't know about and they should figure them out. But I actually do think, <laughs> I do actually want to ask that question, which is, I do think that there is this like interesting thing that's happening, which is ChatGPT from product market fit it actually has like sticky user base, people using it for real things. And there's some other examples of that, but by and large, like I think in general, like AI tools do find it hard to uh, capture users and keep users, right? To find a real sticky use case. What are some of the other apps that you've found that maybe you're using in your day-to-day or you find really useful, you've seen that are really useful that are not the ones that are cited day in, day out on Twitter or, or all these other places? Yeah, um, I do think that a lot of AI apps are point solutions mm-hmm. at this point where it helps you do one specific task. Right. 
I actually don't think that's as bad of a thing as Twitter would make it feel. In fact, like I love the fact that I can go to one website and get one task done and it saves me a ton of time. One thing that I use a lot, which I think maybe this isn't as underground, but maybe the specific service I use is, is um, transcribing really long videos or really long recordings of meetings. And Riverside actually launched a transcription free. And I think it definitely does over an hour long meetings. It will do for free and transcribe them really well. And then I usually take that and I dump that transcript into Claude oftentimes. And I have my set of prompts, like I'll use it for different types of meetings. So I think that's one like just across the board that's pretty phenomenal if you're not already doing that. The other one that maybe is it's just like earlier, but I think it's really interesting. It's called Metaphor. I don't know if you guys have heard of Metaphor. It's a search AI search tool. No. But basically this team, their belief is the way that we have built search is wrong. And so instead of looking for keywords, we should actually be looking for what the next best link would be if you were to like share a link with a friend You can still put a normal question here that you would search, but it actually kind of like rewrites it with that auto prompt setting to like be formatted in this way where it is just predicting the next link Mm. for how somebody might be answering that thing. If you type in or the best tutorials for getting started cooking, but it actually ends up converting it into... You do need these. Kieran's trying to get better cooking. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's a way I use the like backend side, um, which actually shows you the prompt. What it's doing is it's just predicting that if somebody was to send you a link saying, hey, I found the best tutorial for getting started cooking, colon, and then the links. And that's what you're seeing here. Instead of keyword searching for best tutorials, getting started cooking. So it's just like a lot more in-depth and nuanced, which I found really interesting. Yeah. There's a lot of innovation in search. That has been one of the things that ChatGPT definitely expediated. Like I think uh, the other one is Perplexity AI, is it? Mm -hmm. That is like the kind of combination of the traditional search links, but it has the write-in, but it has like lots of different features all in one. But there's like tons of innovation. I think that's one of the cool things with AI is you're seeing like industries that historically had conglomerates that won those industries with people taking new shots at them because AI is such a platform shift. Yeah. I mean, that's why you're rooting for not using Google every day. (laughs) Despite he's using Google more. Despite I'm using Google more. Kieran, look, I'm glad that I discovered metaphor. I'm going to go play around with that. Your Chrome bookmarks are very sad. SaaS, trends, AI tools, meet with Kieran. That was it. Like when you share uh, it, like right, your, right, yeah, your yeah, favorites. That, that, I'm like, Kieran lives a yeah, sad, yeah. lonely life. Let's of actually AI, talk about SAS this. Okay. And meetings. <laughs> SAS trends. Okay. So <laughs> this is a new laptop, Kip, because late at okay, night, sure. at mid- I told you the story. My ability to just to go through laptops, 12 midnight, I'm there doing work, riding, and I pour a glass of water all over my laptop. <laughs> And it explodes. <laughs> and I do not have my book. And the thing I discovered was I did not book uh, stick my bookmarks or something. So I have to actually do them all again. But actually, to be honest with you, that is not too far from what I probably yeah, lined I was up. Gonna say, that's, to me, that sounds like 90% yeah. of your normal yeah, day right like there. Those, trends, those like three bookmarks. Do you want to meet with me? Yeah, real humans and then AI tools. That's, pretty, <laughs> that's, basically that's, basically a pretty, right. that's a pretty good summary. 
But but seriously, those were two awesome tools and suggestions. Thank you, thank you, Rachel, for those. So as we're getting towards the the end of the show here now, I want to do something a little different. Oftentimes we're talking to just kind of the broad audience here on, on YouTube and the podcast. If you were giving advice to leaders, a CEO, an executive of a company now, what would you tell them in order to start the AI transformation at their business? So this is just the top down. Like if you were going to give people top down advice for transforming into an AI first business, what would you tell that CEO? Well, I would really highly consider uh, throwing a hackathon. I really think it's one of the best lightweight ways to start that process and encourage it. But I think the number one priority is really making sure that your team feels supported with the training and the space to think about how their job might transform or how their team might transform just totally selfishly, like, you know, just to plug, like, that's what we do, right? We're providing trainings to companies and also to individuals. And one thing that's been really surprising is, you know, we have a ton of individuals just paying out of their pocket for these trainings when, frankly, I think this is something that employers are going to be the ones that get a lot of benefit from. You have that person who's excited to learn this stuff, support them, right? And really like lean in because that's just going to pay off. And that person being excited about working at your company and driving results for you as you're trying to pivot into being more AI first. Yeah, that would be my advice. I love that. I got one follow-up to that. I'm trying to represent my friends out there who do not work in technology, who maybe don't have a bunch of developers, where a hackathon, the notion of a hackathon would be harder for them to kind of grok and do. So like, let's say you're manufacturing company, your services, businesses, what should they do? If you're outside of tech and you're like, wow, I see this change happening with how I could build and grow my business. Like what should they do as their first step? I mean, I think it's the same thing as a hackathon. Maybe you don't call it a hackathon. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's my question. loaded term. Yeah. What's the equivalent of hackathon for the You know, it's, it's a Friday afternoon AI jam session where you just encourage people, you know, that give them a couple hours, give them links to a bunch of different tools, a bunch of resources, and just say, hey, break up in teams, experiment with some stuff and see what cool things you find. Let's get back together and let's just share. And I think it's just starting that process of giving space and then getting people to experiment and then sharing that really does actually compound and helps people find ways to use it in their work. Okay. You have to play with the tools. Like that's for everyone. I think that there's like a partnership that needs to happen where the CEO can encourage people to have time to play with the tools and figure out how they can do things within their roles. But then it's going to be on workers and everyone who wants to kind of migrate into this new era to like figure out how to use those tools, right? Like there was a lot of disruption when the internet came. You either knew how to (laughs) translate your work onto the internet or you didn't. I think that's the same with AI. Totally. The line I give everybody around this is you have to know what's possible. Right. You can't change until you know what's possible, right? And so you have to play with some tools, read some API docs. Like you have to do some things so that you understand what possibilities exist. Then you can go and start tackling your problems once you know what is actually like possible to do in this new way. I also think there's a lot of really great content online that people can access for free. And so I've heard a lot of people inside companies have curated either Slack channels or, you know, a document page in their wiki where just as a company, they're creating a culture of, hey, this was a good blog post that really helped me. Or this was a good video that explained stuff. That can be another really lightweight way to start getting exposure. 
I love that. We're, we're doing that and we're all putting stuff in there every day and it has accelerated all of our learning. The shared forum to just kind of, for everybody to share the most interesting stuff is super awesome. I had completely forgot about that, but that works like a charm and that's something that any business of any, any kind could do. And the top-down action there is create the Slack channel. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, create the form. <laughs> you know, yeah. create it. Yeah, just create the space. Like, I, I think if we're just still down to one thing, it's create the space, right? I love that. I love that. All right, we've talked about building an AI first business, creating space to transform how your team thinks about AI and the opportunities ahead. We've talked about data. We have covered a ton of ground today. Rachel, it has been a pleasure and honor to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to join us. We really, really appreciate having you on Marketing Against the Grain today. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Cool. Awesome. We'll see everybody very soon on the next episode of Marketing Against the Grain.